Hi, I'm Christine Dorr, owner of NeoCoco. And I'm Tammy Tan, owner of Spice Hound. And we are co-owners of Kitchen 519, our shared-use commercial kitchen in the San Francisco Bay Area. Welcome to Lettuce Wrap, the podcast about food, food business, and the people who work in the industry. So today we have Marisa Daskalakis Sangaropoulos of Fed Fresh. Welcome. Thank you for Hi, coming to our kitchen today. That was a mouthful. I can't Thank believe you I read through your name. Congratulations. <laughs> I am so impressed. Well done. Yes, my Michigan upbringing, as I say. That was perfect. <laughs> so talking about upbringings, uh, where did you grow up? I was born in Athens in Greece, moved to New York when I was four, lived in Queens for a few years, and then moved to Chicago. So typical Greek family like sort of uh very big yeah very big my parents both come from big families uh my brother my father's brothers all lived in the states but not near us so we but we did at least visit and see each other uh my mom's family's all over the place some in greece then south africa australia and then lots of cousins not in proximity how do you get to california um, met my husband. He was out here doing his um, master's degree at Stanford. So that brought me out to California. I don't think I ever would have come out if my best friend from high school had not flown me out here as a grad gift after college. Did you go to culinary school? So I did eventually go to culinary school. I just always loved to cook. We're a Greek family. So everything's always from scratch. And I remember my grandmother moved to the States with us. So she lived with us and she always had like a starter in the cabinet and she would make bread and my mom baked like at least at least one pound cake every week because she thought that the kids needed to have sugar and <laughs> 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 till our pediatrician told her otherwise and um everything was always from scratch like i don't think we bought jarred or canned tomato sauce till i was in college it was i mean it was always a lot, always a lot of cooking. And definitely I learned to cook at home. Then I went to college. I went to DePaul University. I have a bachelor's in philosophy and a bachelor's in industrial organizational psychology. Um, started an MBA. Uh, my kids are going to make fun of me, but I lived in Italy for a year on foreign study. And I did actually cook when I was in Italy. So that was the first time I cooked semi-professionally in an industrial kitchen and took cooking classes there just because it was a passion for me. And then after we were married, I worked high tech for about a year out here and did a lot of freelance work and then started having children and stayed home. So I went back to culinary school in 2012. I went to CCA. Uh, what part of Italy were you? In Florence. Uh, mm-hmm. Just Got back from there. Did you? Yeah, it's yeah. gorgeous. So I want I, the food is incredible. The so food is incredible. That's I can understand where the spark of passion mm-hmm. is. Definitely. It's all about what's available and keeping it simple, but executing well, which is what it should always be. Exactly. Right. Good ingredients. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good ingredients. Good technique. So who who has been your biggest inspirations then? I mean, was it family? Is it your grandmother? Cooking? I, well, so my so my grandmother, my mom's mom who lived in Greece, she was by nature an incredible cook. I just I mean, I remember her cooking. And everybody talks about her cooking, even now, like people who lived in the neighborhood, people who knew her. Um, she you know, she could just make something amazing out of nothing. 
And um, as I grew up, I think I recognized that more and more. What's a favorite dish? One of my favorite dishes. Oh, you know what? I mean, and this is one of my kids' favorite dishes too. It's like a braised chicken in a tomato sauce with allspice, just very Greek style Mm -hmm. and okra. Wow. Yeah, Mm. so good. It's like a chicken stew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. So you said you had started a business school, but didn't go that way. Yeah. Yeah. You wish you had continued? Uh, You know, I don't know. I don't want to live on like what ifs. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm looking back. I'm definitely ready. I'm definitely ready to go take a good um, business planning class up in the city, you know, with SBA. Like now? Yeah. I want, I want to do, I don't have a business plan. Okay. So (laughs) that would help. (laughs) Are you ashamed? Are you embarrassed? By not having a business yeah. plan? No, I think okay, it's, good, I think it's kind be. of weirdly fortunate. I talk to a lot of friends who have small businesses, and I think we all often start the same way with an idea of having something very small. And then before you know it, it starts to grow. And you are you haven't anticipated that growth because you didn't maybe think you were going to be such a hot item or whatever. Right. Not that I'm like a hot <laughs> item, but you, you know, are. but you know, it's like you start super small and you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then without you meaning to other people decide they want you to do a lot more for them. And and then you kind of catch on, which I'm sure I think has happened to you as well. So, <laughs> so in the tra- and like, okay, when you went to CCA, mm-hmm. um, was, is there a focus there or do you have to do all disciplines uh well no you have to choose so it was actually a a tough choice for me because i'm passionate about baking i love baking it's always been something i've done it's sort of like therapy Mm -hmm. but i just was thinking what's more marketable like what's better and i'm a good savory chef anyway but like you know i love savory it's just baking is kind of like fun for me and and passionate i've been baking bread for like forever i think since since I was like 24, been doing sourdough like every week and, you know, um, not anymore, not the last two years, too busy, too busy in my kitchen. (laughs) Uh, so I think my family misses it, but yeah, I, I very consciously chose to do savory because I thought I'm more marketable as a savory chef who actually knows how to bake. Right. I've noticed a lot of savory chefs really do not know how to bake. It's a different science. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually love it too. So it's, you know, it's kind of fun. I do a lot of baking. So when you came out of that program, mm-hmm. you you became a, a personal chef? So I came out of the program, I was fortunate enough to do my externship at Commonwealth, which is now closing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really, really fortunate to just work with incredible people. And I staged at a whole bunch of great places. And I had incredible jobs lined up after I was done with school. Like I was going to be working for Felice Street Cafe and doing a lot of their catering end. And I was... I had a job with Nosh, an SF private chef in the city, and I had an unfortunate accident, which landed me with surgery on my foot. I broke my foot and also found out I was pregnant <gasps> oh. <laughs> a week later. So it was like, uh, we have to start from the beginning. So we started from the beginning, but I was very determined not to not work. I really was ready to work to, to work on, on my culinary career. So, um, so went back to work after I had Alex, which is my little guy. Uh, he was like six months old and I, I, I did work for Nosh and SF private chef. They were really flexible. I got to do a lot of just part-time fixed schedule, part-time work, and then built it from there. Eventually I went to ladies who lunch in the city. That's does fine dining, catering and events. And, 
at that point, uh, associated myself with the United States Personal Chef Association. It was something I thought about doing before even culinary school because I had heard about that being a thing. And I was like, oh, that's something I can probably do within reasonable hours. So I started on the side doing personal chef work, which is like you're not working for one client. You have multiple clients and then you go cook on site, prep them for the week, label it, date it, give them instructions, whatever. So that started to grow really quickly. Had you branded yourself as... So I had a name for the company. I had Fet Fresh. And that came up that came up just on a car ride with my best friend from high school. The one who, who, the one who was name. responsible <laughs> for me being here. She's in LA, but she was up here and we were driving in the car. And I don't remember, I think I was just talking about starting starting this business. And I remember Charlotte was was just brainstorming. And she's like, how about this? How about that? We're just coming up with various names. She goes, how about Fet Fresh? Because it has kind of a double meaning when you say it and you don't see it written. It could mean like fresh celebration, freshly made, blah, blah, blah. We're total like, we're total nerds who took French together in high school too. So it's all all good. (laughs) And so, and that's how that came about. So do you cook French? I mean, you know, classically (laughs) French trained. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, So, I mean, I, it's a tough question for me because I think I cook everything. I'm not an expert at everything because that would be silly. And I think deep down, what comes naturally to me is like probably more Mediterranean. But I like to do some Asian inspiration. I, I think just living in the Bay Area, it's hard yeah. not to do that. Without, you don't even mean to do it. Right. right. It's just what you like. It's yeah. just what you like and and what you're used to and what you grow to love. It's, and you're also inspired by the produce here, right? So oh, big com- time, yeah. So we used to go to the farmers market every Saturday, and um, that was definitely inspirational. I still try to cook really only seasonally. Um, when I can't make it to the farmers market, I go to Sagona's, which is kind of like the farmers market. Mm-hmm. Sure, <laughs> um, but I do I do really really always hand pick everything, which is really time consuming, but it's important to me. So how long ago did you decide to start this? Uh, so, so my, so my personal chef business was growing and people then started requesting parties and events. Mm. And, (laughs) you know, some of us start doing these things sort of under the radar, but like I was requested to do a 350 person event and a 90 person event. And that got to be just not feasible without a kitchen. And I was looking for a kitchen space for probably over a year when I ran into you, Christine. I don't know if you remember, I came over here and we were we yeah. ready to contract. I didn't realize that's only how long you've been doing this. Yeah, I haven't been doing this that long. Oh. So since 2013, I'd say I've been cooking professionally oh. and then it just grew really fast. So 2015 is when I started Fat Fresh not the ink, the sole proprietorship, which was just the personal chef business. And then 2016 was when I incorporated and got my kitchen and started. It's actually pretty fresh. Yeah. So with your, uh, when you found your own kitchen, is, mm-hmm. is it just you? Or? I thought Okay. So it's yeah. not really my kitchen, but it's, it's nice because it's kind of like the arrangement you guys have mm-hmm. where there's only three of us and we can all have the kitchen full time. It's not blocked hours. Right. 
So and it's been okay. There's no been there hasn't been any conflict or a time well, space. There's I wouldn't say there's time space conflict because we're all pretty respectful of you know making space. It you know that's just how we just make it happen. That's mm-hmm. not an issue. Uh, I mean, there's issues in terms of organization. You know, mm-hmm. everyone's got a different habit <laughs> <laughs> routine different way, habit different yeah. routine waving like things done yes 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 so i mean so we have some conflict but i mean it's just everybody gets along and it's all good people and you know we always have fun which is awesome. important uh, how big is your team i guess how how many people um, part so of so i'm kind of like my main team me and one other person that's in the kitchen with me most of the time doing prep and whatnot. And I have sort of an informal partner right now too, that we're kind of thinking about how best to collaborate. Um, and then I have staff that comes and goes. So, so I call them when there's an offsite event or I call them if I have extra work at the kitchen. So where do you find them? From working other jobs. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I mean, we, we all know each other, right? So, um, I think it's great when you have other friends who are in the business. The problem I'm sure you've experienced as well is it's really hard to find good staff. Yes. Right. So um, a lot of it just has happened organically where, you know, we used to work for other catering companies or have popped in to help another chef friend of a friend or whatnot. You meet, you exchange info. And then, you know, if you click, it becomes kind of an ongoing working relationship and friendship. So it's great. So uh, that means you haven't used anything like paired or I haven't I haven't yet. I yeah. I I know they those services exist. I have not yet used those services. I'm more like, do you have anybody else you know who can go? Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I am yeah. It's, it's a I, word of mouth, right? There's a lot more trust when you trust somebody else who's right. Totally. And I'll be honest, like I pull people who have real full time corporate jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask my friends who have much more server experience than I've ever had. I'm like, want to do some front of house? But but they do because they think it's fun. Right. One it's off. fun. Yeah. Right. It's, it's so they, pop, they pop in if I'm like desperate or whatever. Yeah. And just because it's a, it's something they like to do, but they're not going to do it full time because it's not lucrative, but yeah. it's mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Get a little bit extra spending money. Yeah. And it's also just like, I mean, the experience of hanging out with me in a gig, you know, so amazing. <laughs> Always, especially when I get intense and I'm like, eh, we're not ready. <laughs> yeah. Have you never not been ready, though? You have never had a full I, breakdown. I ha- I've had a lot of <laughs> nightmares <laughs> about oh. like, you know, you have that anxiety dream of showing up at the event and then realizing you left everything back at the kitchen and you're like an hour away. I've had a number of those. And you know, I have to say once this happened to me, where, I mean, I've forgotten something like tasting spoons once or whatever, you know, but nothing major where we just like, you just ad lib it, you just figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. That's the catering business. You just figure it out. right? And usually like, you just don't say anything. You just, nobody even remembers what's on the menu. You know, it's the same food. It's just, I'm presenting it differently. So no need to say anything and freak people out. But um, there was one time that a couple of people dropped out last minute and it was a big event. And I had somebody pop in that I didn't know. It was just a friend of a friend who was hanging out, but he has a chef background. And last minute, we both looked at him and said, hey, you want to come along today? Because we're in trouble. And he, and he said, of course. And so he did my pack out 
and I, I went over the pack out a million times, right? And it was like, yes, yes, yes. We get on site and I realize <laughs> all of the perishables are still in the walk-in at the kitchen. <gasps> so the, so my dream sort of came true. But were you but, far? No, I was 15 minutes away. So I sent our other friend back to, to grab it. It was totally fine, but it's just for you. You know, for you and your staff, it's like a code red. Right. But fortunately, the client knows nothing. It all went off without a hit. Oh, sure. oh yeah, they were sure. so impressed and were like, oh, phew. <laughs> so you make stuff happens. <laughs> it's a high stress job. Because yes. stuff happens. I know. That's the thing about mm-hmm. catering that I've always heard. You're always up against the wall. You are. And, yeah. and you know, it's like you're, you're at the whim of anything that can possibly happen on site. Like your equipment won't work. It's not your equipment. You know, they have an oven. It might not be working that day. The refrigeration might not be working. Uh, we had an we had a huge event at Stanford where suddenly there was a windstorm, and staff was trying to set up a bar outside for over an hour, and we're like trying to tie tablecloths, you know, trying to figure out what to do. We're in this beautiful outdoor space that they just finished, and we were so excited about doing it there, and it looked amazing, but it was just a logistical nightmare. Right. Um, but I mean, it works out and you really always have to be ready for everything, everything and to think on your, yes. Mm -hmm. But I think maybe that's what I like about it. It's never boring. (laughs) I don't know. It's never boring. I think I work really well under pressure. Like I, and, and usually I, I look calm. I might be freaking out inside, but I usually look calm. I've seen you've come in here to get things and you've been here, your body, but your head was. Yeah, I'm like everywhere. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I've got like uh, 850 (laughs) item to do list in my. I know, and you're here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So let's talk about like how you started off with all your business. So when you started into your personal chef business, Mm -hmm. how did you get your first client? So definitely got my first client through USPCA, United States Personal Chef Association. They Once you sign up, you get liability insurance for just personal chef work, which is like up to a certain number of people that you're allowed to serve. It's very specific and very tight. It's stringent. Um, But then you also have to write up a listing that they put on their website. So you become searchable. And it wasn't anything super high tech, but they kind of walked me through the process of what to include so that it comes up on a search, you know, code every single zip code that you would ever service and, you know, use some language and whatnot. And so actually it was strangely easy. I got a lot of inquiries and I still get a lot of inquiries through there. It's just, I'm kind of phasing out that portion of my business right now because it's become very labor intensive and time consuming mm-hmm. trying to refocus and uh so so that's how you started building up your customer that's base that's how i started building it uh-huh. and um my first clients they're just wonderful people i don't cook for them anymore they're elderly and they're amazing i think i cooked for them in a house for two and a half years oh wow and they just i think there's just that part of me that wants to feel like what i'm doing is actually making a difference especially with personal chef work. And it just feels good when you when you know you've made a difference in somebody's life, whether it's like a busy family and they get to have healthy meals when they come home and their teenagers are happy or, you know, especially when it's somebody elderly, 
It's really special. It's fun. It's actually fun. And I think being in-house was fun because um, you get to have these great conversations and you're also like somebody's company and you build a really tight relationship. So, so. do you find that you retain um, clients? That yeah. That, or- oh, definitely. And when I transitioned to deliveries, I still retained all my clients. It was It was a conversation and I wasn't sure how I felt about it either. So you don't cook in in house anymore. No, I mean I'll do it if I have to, but I I don't I I just can't afford to give up a day for a client and then not take right a gig or you know not run to some kid's school or who knows what's going to come up and so that that also became an issue for me was you know my little guy would get sick and then I'd have to cancel on a personal client mm. if I'm cooking in the kitchen. Not that it's ideal, but like he can hang out in the office right. and I can do it, or I can ask staff to like take to something play. out. Yeah. So I have a lot more flexibility. Have you ever done any paid marketing or as everything has been word of mouth or? Right. I'm terrible. I've never done any paid marketing. I have a website up, but it's so not anywhere near finished. (laughs) They never are. But it exists. But it exists. Oh, no, it's nowhere near finished. Like the basic writing isn't even there. They're like, oh, so you have personal meal delivery and you list other things, but there's no information. Mm -hmm. It'll get there. (laughs) But I guess it doesn't matter, right? I mean, it hasn't. I mean, I'm sure it would be great if I made it easier, you know, to have the info there. And then like with a click of a button, they could do that. But I have a I have noticed that the website really gets people to contact me. So I've got I have gotten clients through the website. It's hard for me to know if they found the website on a Google search, or if they looked at the USPCA website and then linked to it. I'm not sure how they're coming to the website. But a lot of it really still is word of mouth. And I think I think it's really important to have word of mouth clients because you're already like somebody already vouched for you. Right. And that's really big. So automatically, you know, you have to do a great job because Mm -hmm. you're not going to let your amazing client down that books you all the time. Right. Right. And on the other hand, there's a level of trust on both sides. So you have as much business now as you want. I think I can have a lot more business. You can handle that. I don't know if I can handle it at this moment. <laughs> I want more, but I don't know if I can. Yeah, I okay. think we're all in that boat yeah. where I, I, I really want to have a plan for handling more business at this point. So you want to grow. I want to grow. It's actually really, I feel confident that it's very easy for me to grow. And I don't take a lot of gigs and I pass them along because, you know, it's inconvenient. The timing is horrible or I don't have the staff. But I think if I had a plan for how to handle that, that would change. Okay, so let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> Let us talk about that. Uh, when when you did go to culinary school, mm-hmm. did they teach you anything about handling catering gigs or? Absolutely. No, no way. Nothing. No. Okay, the most we did was a buffet class, which was like, I mean laughable mm-hmm. at most. So then how did you learn? Okay, I have a 300 mm-hmm. person gig. How did you figure out like, okay, I need <laughs> this many hors d'oeuvres, this much beverages, all this plating, you know, mm-hmm. enough of that and this. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I mean, how did you learn it all? Oh my God. Um, I don't know. So I did like some really super formal mathematical scaling back in the, like when I was not technically working, I was always working. I never was not working. So I was always volunteering, but not just like, 
oh, I'm going to go clean trash for the day. I was running a fund drive for the Educational Foundation. I was running an art program for my kids' school. So there was a lot of coordination work, a lot of organizational stuff. And I was also running all the fundraising for my kids' Greek school. And I had this crazy idea that I wanted to do this crazy big fundraiser. And I did it two years in a row for Christmas and Easter. But the we created this whole like cafe upstairs. And so like, cause the parents would always come and then they'd go to Starbucks. So we did this cafe for like, we ran it for three or four weeks during the holiday season. I did really high end, like packaged pastries that they could even take and gift. They had labels. They were, and you made packaged. all that. I did all of it. I made all of it, packaged all of it. I had, I think two people who kind of volunteered and came to help me with some of it, but they let me use the kitchen there. They have a like huge your store. Yeah. It was amazing. And, but like I'm printed gorgeous labels. They were all handmade, you know, so crafty. Um, so I did all of that myself. So it, I mean, that was kind of a great learning experience, but nobody taught me how to do it. I was just like, oh, it's math. I can do that. You know, I can figure that out. So it started like that. Now it's so just intuitive, mm-hmm. but I still do my calculations. I'm still like yeah. a math nerd. I'm a big spreadsheet fan. Everything goes on a spreadsheet yep. or else I cannot function. That was one of my questions. How do you keep track? Oh my God. So if I don't go... Uh, not for my scaling. I just like do it by hand or whatever. Uh, this, that. But I put it on the spreadsheet. When I write my shopping list, I'm like, okay, that's how much of everything. And I'll write myself a note, like how many portions I need to, because I don't know, I'm kind of visual too. So I'm like, oh, well, that filet of fish is that many pounds, but it'll only yield that many portions because of the shape or whatever. You know, you know, when you work with other people, if you start bringing other people in and start growing, uh, know, <laughs> you're going to have, you, you can't just, yeah. So intuitive. Well, no, I think you have to be intuitive on a certain level. Like, but but honestly, I don't want people who can't think on their feet. Like, they're like the structures there, right? My spreadsheets are everywhere. And so this is one of the bigger reasons for the spreadsheets, not just because I work better with it, because you know, you can get distracted at work, you have things on your mind, it's busy, you're gonna forget something. And I'm just a big fan of lists. So everything's on a spreadsheet. There's a menu, how many people are getting it, who's getting it that week, who's getting this menu. Um, when are we prepping what? This day we're doing this, that, that, that. Um, and then very specific instructions often to the point that no joke, my 14-year-old can go prep that list. I swear to God. Like that's how specific I get. As specific as put water to boil for pasta. <laughs> put water to, you know, to put water on the fire for blanching set up ice baths for blood. It's like, this is basic stuff that people should know. But again, I'm not going to take the risk of somebody not Mm -hmm. doing it. So that's very organized mind that you Mm -hmm. have there, that you are in your business. Yeah. Are you like this in your life? I used to be. Yeah. I used to be super organized. (laughs) What happened? Uh, I don't know. It's, I think I'm, I think I'm (laughs) just being pulled in too many directions. Uh Um, yeah, I used to be super organized. Like when I was having Alex, when I was pregnant to Alex, I had everything on spreadsheets. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the last one, huh? (laughs) Uh, Probably. But I did. But I did teach my kids about spreadsheets. I think the older two know and my oldest definitely knows like because she I had her helping me do prep lists or timelines for work. So she so she knows how I work. And I and I encouraged her during college writing essays to do something like that and build up her schedule and block off hours for what to handle because it was overwhelming. So I just think it's a it's a good way to just kind of keep yourself in check. But yeah, at the moment, there's a lot going on in my life. I am not feeling organized. 
<laughs> Were you like this as a kid? I mean, organized. Or, yeah, organized. Detail That's a oriented. great question. I'm sure I was pretty OCD because I mean like, uh, you yeah, studied would, it in college, yes. so therefore. Okay, but I think maybe I just <laughs> studied it. Yeah, no, I don't know that it had much to do with IO. I uh-huh. to be honest, I think it was like I was always. I, I grew up in a very OCD household. My mom is like a pathological neat freak she's i mean i'm over it with four kids but i am like that uh but i remember i think i'm gonna give you my earliest memory of my crazy ocd-ness okay so i remember i'm four or five i don't know we're in new york and i don't remember what had happened i think my dad's friend was visiting and he always brought me marzipans he knew that was my favorite thing on earth and he always he always brought me marzipans they're really pretty you know, airbrushed ones. And something something happened. I definitely remember I had my marzipan. Everything was hunky-dory. But then something happened. There was some argument. I And I got in trouble for something. And I don't remember if maybe I hadn't, I hadn't done something to get in trouble. And so I felt like it was unfair. But I went to my room and I had a massive tantrum. Like massive, but it was private. It was an all-in private tantrum because nobody would see me having a tantrum. And I you didn't t- want people to see you. Right. No, I never cried in front of anybody. I never, never had those moments. I was like always together. I went to my room, had a massive tantrum, pulled all my stuff, threw it across the room, all the toys, all the books, like anything fine, made an absolute mess and cried on my bed probably for five minutes. And after I had it out, I got everything together and put it all perfectly back into place. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Got your act together. And I don't think anybody knew what had happened. Oh. So you wow. freak out. And it was cool. I had my freak out. I got over it. Re- you know. Does that happen Put now? things back in order. I, I think that's just like how I manage. Yeah. yeah. I think that's me. I'll have like a, like a big freak out here and there. But yeah, I mean, it's, so maybe a little OCD, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I still think it's funny. Like I think about that a lot. Mm-hmm. What kid does that? But I think my, I think my youngest does that. Oh, he, he does that. that. Like okay. he'll, like he's very OCD. Interesting. <laughs> like go line things up, close all the drawers and the doors before he leaves the room. And he'll, you know. We're going to see how that develops. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll start him doing yoga now and meditation. Okay, so you've been doing this for a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what advice for people who are starting a catering business or maybe adding it as a sales channel? Somebody came to you and says, I want to start this. What would you tell them? A catering business? Yeah. Honestly, my best advice is to do it first. Like do it with other people. See how other people run it. And that wasn't my intention when I was working catering to start a catering business. It was not my intention. I was like happy working for other people, but then I guess the demand came. I would definitely say the best education is to just do it and learn from other people who've been doing it, right? And you kind of pick up things that you like and then you try really hard not to do the things that you don't like. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So in that Mm -hmm. case, would you advise going to culinary school? That's such a tough one. It's such a tough one. So I went really late and I had no idea that I could just like throw myself into the business. Oh, I could just like go stage and I didn't even know what a stage was. Um, 
And I, for me, I think it was useful to go to, to culinary school because it gave me an opportunity to give my undivided attention to that for like a year, you know, and that's what I needed because I was distracted by the kids and everything else. So it was like, okay, this is my chunk of time. That's what I'm doing those hours of the day, which was helpful. And also it was helpful in just networking um, because you have opportunities to do competitions. You have opportunities to work with guest chefs. You have opportunities to do like a one day gig with somebody and volunteer and help out. So that was really meaningful for me. And actually making, you know, having meaningful relationships with my instructors, which I think a lot of the younger students didn't, didn't have also, you know, a lot of people just go thinking they're going to be star chefs. They don't want to put in the work. It's like, Oh, I'm just going to show up and be a chef. Well, no, you won't. And I think it helped that I already had been cooking my whole life. So it's, you know, for me, it was like a step up. I wanted to get a lot out of it. And I think I did, you get what you put in. Um, I think if you're younger, it's really expensive to go to culinary school. And I would almost urge anybody to work in the field first and learn by doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And like really think hard about whether or not this is something you want to devote 50 to 100K to, you know? Right. Because you're not, it's hard to make that money back. And it's a lifestyle too. It is. See, now, I think there's always a value in an education, right? But I already had college degrees. So, you know, I, it's hard to advise. I, I think if you're going to do like a full on like bachelor's in culinary kind of a thing where you're taking the business courses, you're you're doing all of that work, almost more of a hospitality degree, yeah. but with some really strong business courses that can help you, that might be more um, more reasonable. But I think just to learn basic cooking skills, you really, I, I think you'll just learn that on the job. Mm-hmm. Just go start as a dishwasher or a prep cook or... <laughs> Right. Or a cashier at a restaurant you like. Sure. Make a good impression and just let... I mean, I find like if you show interest, people in the field generally will be excited that you're showing interest. I think... I know I, I'm happy when people ask questions or, um, you know, or even like if somebody asks me about my food or why I'm doing something and they want to actually understand that, you know, I want to invest that time in that person. Mm-hmm. I want to help them and I want to show them something and teach them something. So uh, kind of on the client side, mm-hmm. um, when when people come in and they have a special event and all that, do they typically have an idea of what they want or they just solely rely on you to recommend foods for their event? It totally depends on the client. Yeah. So you have the client that, Well, I mean, you have clients who cook a lot, who are really into their food and they cook a lot and they know a lot about food and they just can't take on the event themselves, but they would if they could, right? And that could be a good thing or a total deal breaker, right? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, it doesn't mean I won't take the event, but when they start to micromanage the food part, it's a problem. I don't usually have that problem with people. Like, I just want to hear about what they like and what they want and whatever. And you know, I I just want to have that open conversation. And then there's the clients that love to plan the party, don't want to cook it, you know? So there's a, you just have to ask the right questions at, at the beginning of the process to get mm-hmm. a really clear idea of how much help they need. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had, I mean, it runs the gamut. And sometimes they ask for things that are ridiculous because they have no idea. And then, that's always the tough part because you're like, okay. What's ridiculous? What's the definition of ridiculous? 
Well, it's like they'll want things on the menu that don't make sense to me to put together or they'll be like, oh, yeah, I want you to come do a live station and a live barbecue and it's going to be this many hours you can do by yourself. It's going to be 30 people. Oh, and I want it for like $12 a person. (laughs) And I have actually lately turned around. I'm over it. I'm like, okay. And you know, I think you really should just go to Chipotle and it'll be actually twice as expensive as $12 a person Mm. for Chipotle, just FYI. So, um, you know, and I've actually said that in a non-offensive way. And I mean, I'm not offended because I think it's just that people don't understand. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest issues for me is pricing. And one of the biggest issues I think with a lot of clients is is pricing because there's such an unrealistic understanding of what food actually costs and producing good food right. and running a business. Right. And tell uh, us about that. Um, okay. Well, I think the biggest problem in my industry is like, you know, you have a lot of sort of a lot of restaurants that are now delivering or providing the DoorDash or whatever or a right. pickup. Right this is extra business for them, right? And they have a very fixed menu. They're not doing anything special. And it's hard because you have people who want corporate lunches or events at the same price as what they would get at a place that's just doing a cookie cutter thing, right? But they want it very personalized and there's eight dietary restrictions and God knows what, and you're staffing it and you're bringing rentals and you're doing whatnot. And they just don't wrap their mind around all of that. And I find like for me, I try really hard just to educate in a really polite way, like say, okay, well, so here's the thing, you know, this is what I'm providing and you can have that, but this is what that will cost. Right. And this is why, and I almost hate having to justify, Yeah. but I think I'm a person who always needs to understand why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're educating them. Yeah. I want to understand why, Right. you know, and mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, before I started catering, I didn't know anything about what catering cost or what it should cost, right? So you'll get that occasional client that'll just say, oh, well, you tell me. And <laughs> and that's, all, that's always great, but also horrible because right. you're like, oh, um, I have no idea where you're at, right. you know, because I can, pr- I can provide you with a menu or pricing that's appropriate to you. I just need to know your budget. Yeah. What's your range? They don't like to provide a budget. A lot of people don't like. And I also think that's often because they just have no idea what right. their budget should be. Right. So I try to you try to guide and you try to work around it. But I really think that the main problem is like, you know, things like Blue Apron and all these startups that have funding behind them they offer things at unrealistic prices, right? right? And so people are used to that. And when you're doing custom meals for $25 to $35 a portion and taking it to the door, tax included and everything, labeled with uh, instructions and God knows what, there's the people who appreciate it. And there's the people who want to argue that that's just too much. And the people who argue that it's too much you educate. And if they still think it's too much, then they really just need to not have that service. Yes. <laughs> right. It's, they, it's, they, yeah. have, they need to have a different service. Else. Yes. They need mm-hmm. to not have the, that option. So would you say that those are your competitors, some of those people who do the, the deliveries? I would say yes. But on the other hand, I would say no, because I think the clients that I do want are not those clients. Right. You know? Yeah. And so I'm kind of over it. I'm like, oh, well, if you can't do if you can't meet my minimum, then I just won't, I won't provide service. Right. And it's really hard to get to the point that you can say that confidently and not feel like you're missing out. Right. But I think it's really important because we undervalue ourselves so much. And I think, 
you're you're wasting your time when you're providing um something that that you know you're putting yourself into and is worth a lot more you're providing it at a discount all the time it it ends up leaving you feeling badly right. and other people taking advantage right. and then just it leads you to that yeah you get yeah. resentful and it's not fun yeah. right and in the end you're taking away you're detracting attention and time that you can be investing in doing what you want to be doing mm-hmm. by just like filling in the blanks with random small gigs or not the right kind. How of long gigs. did that take you to come to that realization? I'm really like, well, I had the realization for a while, but I think actually starting to be able to stand my ground has been a lot more recent, like in the last six months or nine months that I'm actually just saying no. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm actually just saying no. We're like, yeah. It's just uh, not the right fit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's nothing, no, neither here nor there. It's just... No, I mean, I remember a client wanted like a full resume and whatnot. And I was like, wait, I'm not applying for a job. Maybe you don't understand, but you're applying to be my client. I'm not applying for a job. I was like, I don't hand out resumes. Resumes. Yeah. What? Are you kidding? I'm a corporation. I'm not going to hand you a resume. Right. You're not hiring me to work for you on a personal level. Like... Hmm. That was the weirdest thing. Yeah, I never heard but it's that. But sil- no, it's a Silicon Valley mentality. It's happened to other friends of mine mm. or chefs. Yeah. But I mean, even when I was a personal chef, I never handed anybody a resume. I mean, <laughs> tried. And if you don't like it, we don't do it again. I mean, right. <laughs> I was going to say, it's it's fair to say, like, this is my menu, though, right? It's it's fair. Oh, sure. I'll send you a menu. You could look at right. pictures. Yeah, sure. But, but yeah. But it's I'm not going to hand you my resume because it actually doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> Okay. It really doesn't. <laughs> so what's your brand differentiator? Like, why would somebody come to you opposed to go to somebody else? That's such a great question. That's a question I need to learn to answer. Uh, I don't even know if I know plan. the answer. Yeah, that's such a great question. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking about stuff that my clients have said. Like, wh- you know, I always kind of wonder, like, what's the perception? And I think the perception is always that... um. I really, really, really pay a lot of attention to detail and everything really is super personalized. Like I just don't have cookie cutter menus. It's not what a normal business would do, but I I mean, I'll give you options, but I don't have like, oh, here's my three catering menus or whatever. I want to have a conversation. I want to know what you love. I want to know what your vision is. It's always like very like party planning, boutique catering-y, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's not like you're going to a website and picking the three things. So as much as that doesn't make business sense, I think that's what works. No, I think that's perfect. And that's what uh, you need to write. Yeah. And I, and I love to just, I think I love to build, I love to build relationships with my clients and I have a lot of repeat clientele and you know, it's really awesome when you have a client that trusts you so much, you don't need to send a menu. So a lot you don't of need service. I mean, you do eventually, right? Because somebody else in the company needs to see it or whatnot. But like your client knows you're you're on it, or if they don't even receive it, they're like, "Yeah, cool. We know it's going to be awesome." Yeah, oh, that's <laughs> awesome. the mind. So, yeah. So, um, so if you if grow your business, how do you instill this in your staff if you're not there to make every decision? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, okay. I mean, when it comes to like prep lists and all that, I. I take care of that. And so people can go in and start working. Um, I think most of my stuff has worked with me since the inception. So they kind of know what I do and how I do it. And we all have our groove. Uh, new people kind of get trained on the on the job. And everybody's pretty good about teaching. 
And I think um, I recently had this conversation with staff, like with that incident with the wind picking up and that disaster. And, you know, I got there, I was running late from the kitchen, but I intentionally had sent staff to do the setup, right? Knowing that I would be coming late. It was like an all day event. So this is the sixth event, sixth piece of the event of the day that I was coming back for the big dinner and the reception. And um, my front of house bar staff was outside like fighting the wind. And I kind of freaked because I'm like, we're starting in half an hour. Why isn't the bar set up? Right. And they had a lot of questions because they didn't like the setup and they wanted to, they had this idea and I was like, okay, but just do it. Right. And they're like, oh, we wanted to ask you. And I was a little shocked because I always switch things around. I always walk into the conference room and go, oh, that's not going to work. No, I'm never happy with what they do. I'm like, that's not flowy. That's not this. And so I was kind of surprised because I feel like I've always empowered them to do that. And I was surprised that they didn't just do what felt good for them, for the space. And then once they did it, it was amazing. And everybody was like, oh, that makes so much sense. And all the Stanford people were like, oh, that that really does make a lot of sense, you know? So I think just having that conversation, letting them know, you know, because if I don't like it, I'll let you know. Right. I will come in and, and shake my head and go, mm, don't like it. So Let's go ahead, around. do yeah. what you think. Yeah. Because I trust you. Yeah, I do. Yes. I, I do trust them. And if, and you trust me that if I don't like it, I'm going <laughs> to come in and tell, tell you. you. <laughs> yeah. I, I will tell you. I will tell you. It's the, it's the empowerment of your staff. I mean, you yeah. know, that they feel empowered to do things without yeah. your of reapproval. Right. I'm not a micromanager. Right. I can't do that. So I might be OCD, but I'm not a micromanager. But I will like I will go around and fix things. Mm-hmm. Like or and talk through it. Like again, I'm a really big fan of making people understand why. Like, okay, yes, you set up the buffet. I don't like it because when I set up, I think about OCD things. Like if I'm going to serve myself, I want to put my plate down maybe. And I want to hand a hand, you know, you think of all these really important. Yeah. <laughs> user. Yes. It has to be user friendly. Yes. Mm-hmm. It has to be pretty, but user friendly. So what's the biggest event you've worked on? Like the largest huh. most people or most expensive or most food. Most expensive most- was probably a Google event. Uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, as a single, as a single chunk, as a one chunk gig, probably that, but more expensive, maybe at Stanford recently with like these multi-tiered day-long events when you add it all up. And that's like running a circus, right? Because you've got 150 people and they're there all day and you have literally six different food things going on and you're flipping buffets and you're changing the setup and you're constantly replenishing and you're blah, blah, blah. And you're flipping rooms from conference to sit down dinner to reception outside to God knows what. And, you you know, I really like I have limited stuff. I was going to say, how many people do you have working on something like that? You'd be surprised with how few people I can work. Like like, I had like four people drop out of that one day event. I'm like, oh my God. But I always try to overstaff it in case something like that happens. I I have people very judgmental about that in the business. They're like, oh, you overstaff some of your events. And I'm like, Right. Because we get out earlier when we have an extra hand. Right. So it, so in, in the end, it kind of balances off and then it's not as hard work for all Here's of us. Tip. Uh, yeah. On the other hand, if somebody drops out, we're going to be OK. And I had like three or four people drop. I think in the end I filled in. So I ended up with three less than I had anticipated. 
And it was just harder work. But we, we knew because Tracy and I, she's kind of like my right-hand person, we sat down and we did like a little logistical powwow two days before. Very specific on a spreadsheet. <laughs> we sent everyone. Yeah, we sent everybody like everything broken down in half hour chunks and everyone's color coded and everyone's got their very specific tasks. Everyone is responsible for very specific things because I think that way, you know, you're covered. And that way also everybody feels less frantic. Tell us any uh, certain business decisions that you made that really made a difference in your business. So one of the decisions I made recently because my life was kind of going haywire was to put my meal delivery service on hold. And the thing with meal delivery is, you know, it's, it's money every week, right? So in the past, it was kind of good to have, but it's just, it got to the point where I was thinking it really eats up two to three days of my time just mm-hmm. to put out this one day of food. Right. And at the end of the day, is it worth the stress? And where could my time be allocated better? Even if it means I get home at a decent time or I don't eat up my Saturday and Sunday shopping and lo- and redoing the walk-in and you know writing prep lists and all that. I can actually maybe be more present with the kids and have a life. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, that was a huge decision. Also because I felt like it affected the people I was doing service for, and it did. So that was huge for me because it I don't think it affected my bottom line too much, but it did affect my quality of life in a okay. positive way. Okay. Um, that's <laughs> yeah, huge. That is. I mean, that's huge. Huge. Um, huge. To have a weekend is huge. Oh, yes. <laughs> and um, I think other decisions are like, you know, being kind of like a purist and stuff. <laughs> I was like hand cutting everything. It was taking forever, right? Like, oh, Brunoise this, fine dice <laughs> that. And that's great when I'm doing it or another friend in the kitchen who's got like 30 years culinary experience is doing it. But when like my semi-skilled staff or not so skilled staff is prepping. Taking time. Oh my yeah. Lord, what a waste of time. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah, I had my neighbors talking about it and they're kind of making fun of me, right? And I noticed in their kitchen, because they have a food truck, they have machine, like hand, you know, hand mechanical things that do it. Like there's a chopper you could just like mm-hmm. stomp down. I was like, you know, what is that? $150? Mm-hmm. That just that just saved me $100 in a day yep. of having mm-hmm. somebody who doesn't know how to chop. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. paid for itself. It looks, it's great product. <laughs> looks amazing. They can't mess it up, right? Yeah, and I'm like, you know, fantastic. One of my best investments. Sure, was that okay? Yeah, there's a couple of things then. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's different. more. There's like knocking yeah. down wooden shelves in the kitchen that were disgusting, and putting up stainless on wheels, you know, so we could actually move things around easily, clean easier, reorganize easier. So you went around and tried to make everything as sufficient as possible. We have not yet gotten to that point. Okay, do not do not get ahead of me. <laughs> Well, it's an ongoing project. Can you walk, we are walk not around there here. yet. Can you walk around here and help me with this room? You're su- you're super tight. No, you have, no. you're tight. Oh yeah, no, you're you're good. You're good. You good have enough. no idea, <laughs> girl. You haven't been to my kitchen. No, I haven't. I need to come over. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. I'm sure. 
Do you have a business partner or would you take on a partner or an investor? Mm, I definitely need a partner. What does that partner do that you don't do? What do you want them to do? I, you know, so it's tough. It's tough to answer that question because I really like being in the kitchen and I like doing recipe development. I like playing and doing stuff. And I, I love running the events. Like I love planning the event, you know, like pulling together stuff that's going to go on table. Like I actually like that part. The problem is I do all of it. So I think, I think I kind of need in an ideal world, I would need two partners, like somebody who can manage kitchen and running to an event when I can't, but like a real chef partner who can like do all the food if I can't be there, if I'm mm-hmm. sick or I don't make mm-hmm. it or I'm busy with something else and somebody else to help with more of the admin side. And it's hard for me to decide if I want that person doing all the client contact or if I should really be the client contact. It's always so mm-hmm. tough. You know, you should. I should be I, the client that's, contact. That's yeah. advice. And then I can always pass them to my other person. I don't agree. I mean, I think there's a lot of trust, right? If she has a partner that mm-hmm. is like a chef like you yeah. who can do the similar recommendations. Right, for the menu. For well, the that's menu. what I'm saying is if I had so. two partners and what I could trust doing the front end and what I could trust in the back end, and then if a, cl- if a client calls and I can't manage that and I can pop them to my chef partner to discuss food and pop them to my front end partner to discuss rentals event, you know, because we'll have a fix. This is like what I'm working on hopefully before September is to get all this stuff standardized, like have a standardized questionnaire. And I was like, I want my son who's taken his computer science class to create for me. Probably there's already something that does this, but (laughs) I want to create like an autofill form that then populates into my contract to the client. So I don't have to do the work like five times over. There's got to be, here it is from the website. Here is, you know, there's there's gotta be some, there's somewhere, some, some way to integrate it, but I need to like, I need to make my form very specific to what I would need to know, you know? So it's get it's getting there. It's, I know what I want. I just need to find the time to sit down and get somebody to help me do it. Right. I was I was painstakingly working on my website for months and then I had all these changes I wanted to make and I'd like rewritten things or I knew what I wanted to change and and my son's in college and he wanted he, he wanted to make money. So I said, "Well, can you help me remotely? Can you do these things?" And he said, "Sure, just send me a list and I'll take care of it and then you look at your website and see if that's what you want." So send him this list that would easily have taken me a day to handle myself. I swear it was half an hour later. He calls me. He's like, yeah, cool down. What else? And I'm like, what? (gasps) This is the best use of my money ever. Yeah. (laughs) So it's just that part of just learning to let go and say, okay, this is worth my money because it takes me so many hours to do something because it's not what I'm an expert at. Sure. Right. Makes sense. It's the letting go. It's the letting go. It's the letting go. But I do feel like before I let things go, I want to have certain things set up, you know? But again, like when it comes to that technical stuff, it's like, sure, I can learn how to do all of it, but why? You have to get over needing to do it. <laughs> so let's talk about a little bit about the future. Mm. Um, are you interested in doing any kind of cafe or restaurant? Because that, does that seem like the next step or just continuing to grow catering? It's really funny you brought that up because that has recently come up and you and I have not even talked about this. Yeah, that's recently come up as an opportunity. Actually, just recently, two opportunities. And I'm actually not really allowed to talk about one of them at all 
and I don't, I don't know the specifics of the other. It really just came up today. <laughs> okay. In general, you, you would. Yeah. Have I thought it. of it? I've, I've thought about whether or not it would be smart to have some kind of a storefront of some kind. And do you feel like, I mean, with the Bay Area becoming more and more expensive, mm-hmm. you know, um, is it is it feasible to have your own business here anymore? I mean, I think it's always a big challenge. Um, it fluctuates a lot. So it's sort of not dependable in terms of income, profits, you know, revenues. You don't know what's happening. You might have a killer month. And not, I mean, this was my case this year. It was, it was like kind of okay in January. And then it was dead up until May. And then May and June were crazy. And then it's been kind of steady, quiet, you know? So you, you just don't know. But this was one of the toughest years. And I heard it from a lot of other caterers and food businesses around. It was the same experience. It was just kind of one of those weird years. You don't know everybody. No, you don't know what's happening. And everybody was suffering. Like nobody, nobody had work. It was it was really odd. Um, and so you think businesses are like tightening their belts and not doing as many catered events? I, think I would say the opposite. I think we're doing more catering. Like businesses who have sort of storefronts or trucks or whatnot, they're trying to do more catering because there's a better profit margin on it. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, then it's not steady. So I feel like as a caterer, I still need to have something steady, which is what my meal service was. Yeah. Um, and now that's out. Now that's out, but corporate lunch is in. So that that's what I want to grow is corporate lunch drop off. Ah, yeah, corporate lunch drop off. That would be my dream. Okay, goes <laughs> into the business plan. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's on the website. It just doesn't have a description. It's always happening. Yeah. It's just not getting pumped up yet, but it should. Imagine what's going to happen when you when you get that all together. Imagine. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the possibility. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you. Yes, thank you for having me, girls, for coming down today. (laughs) Yeah, where can we find you? You can find me at www.fetfresh.com. Our Instagram is at fetfreshcooks, and my email is fetfresh at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you for listening to Let Us Rock with Christine and Tammy. Thank you to our editor and producer, Jason Anthony Guy. We'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts with us on Twitter or Facebook. We're at Let Us Wrap Pod or email us at letuswrappod at gmail.com. Take it away, Marisa. It's a wrap. 